Welcome to the Alien Beer Podcast. I'm Chrissy Garrison, and I will be reading my science fiction stories to you. The Multiverse Blues, Chapter 8, From Four Till Late Harlan, what do you mean? I said, breathless. Where is she from? That version of me, I mean. How do you know? Harlan stood silhouetted by the backdrop of the fiery wreckage. Well, I reckon she's from my home verse, or thereabouts. I know, cause that there, he said, jerking a thumb back at the ruined walking coach, is a Baba Yaga, a war machine the Kansan Empire uses to get soldiers and important folk through the hills and badlands. Ain't never seen him anywhere but back home on Aird. I blinked. Aird? My verse. It's not like yours or even this place. There never was a United States of anything, just a bunch of smaller countries squabbling and warring over North America. But we can't stand here yapping about that right now. We gotta check in on Hope and the show. Even as he said her name, Hope appeared on the ramp of the bus, wearing a shimmering metallic green gown draped with a shawl made of netting and rhinestones. Her face was hidden behind a blue-green veil. She beckoned to us, and Harlan and I made our careful way over to her. Sirens blared in the distance. Hope offered a mitten hand to Harlan, and the two shook and held each other's gaze a long moment. She said, I don't pay you enough, do I, Harlan? He chuckled and replied, No, ma'am, but I'd do it all for free if it didn't have so damn many debts to pay. Hope's laughter came out full of squeaks and clicks. Well, add this debt to my tab then, Mr. Harper. Well done. She let go his hand and turned her attention to me. She took two steps, closing the distance to mere inches between us. She raised her arms to embrace me, then stopped. May I? Her sudden close presence overwhelmed me, such that all I could do was nod my consent. The netting and gauzy material of her gown enveloped me, and I found myself wrapped up in hope. I put my arms around her body and held her at first as though she might break. She squeezed me tight, and I realized that I was the more fragile of the two of us. She half whispered, half sang into my ear, Thank you, Jules. Your quick thinking saved Harlan, Zamboni, and me. I won't forget this. My skin tingled everywhere she touched me, while my heart pounded a beat better than Dribbler's bass drum. Not good with this kind of attention, I changed the subject. Ms. Davenport, she's hurt. Can you see to her? Before she let me go, Hope brushed her veiled muzzle across my cheek. Of course. My face burned with some strong emotion I couldn't identify, as the three of us made our way to where Marcy lay cocooned in tarps. Jasmine sat atop her, standing guard. Hope touched Marcy's face as she passed the high-tech healing frisbee over her body. Tension left Marcy's body, and she peered past Hope to look up at me. That wasn't really you, was it, Jules? I shook my head. I saw her, too. I guess she's the Jules from Harlan's world. Marcy's mouth formed an O of surprise. She peered up at Harlan. Aired? Really? Harlan shrugged. Most likely. Don't know how, but someone there can make a portal open all the way over here in Gamma. Shortest route I know, we'd have to go through five arches to get there. Hope murmured, Those are just established routes. My people can skip from world to world with our verse ships. 
It's how I ended up on Delta, far, far from my home on poor lost Tristel. Y'all crashed there, I heard you say once, said Harlan. Hope didn't answer that, but said, Certainly the arches follow the most stable paths and carry the least risk, but there are other ways. Something in the tone of her voice kept me from asking any questions about her home or the crash. Harlan fell silent, and Marcy closed her eyes and rested. Fire engines arrived and began putting out the flaming wreckage behind us. Steam wreathed us as Hope sang a soothing song while she tended to Marcy. Dribbler's voice burst from the calm in my ear, startling me. Hey, are you all alive out there? Babs is doing great, but the gammons are getting restless. They want hope, and we can't stall much longer. There was an attack, Dribs, I replied over the air. Marcy's hurt, and all of us are shaken up pretty bad. Maybe we should... Hope interrupted me with an uncharacteristic snap. No, I'll go on stage. Harlan, you know enough to take it from here, she said, handing the healing saucer to our stage manager. He nodded and said, show must go on, gotcha. Before I could object further, Hope took my hand and we trotted back into the Coliseum towards the backstage. Dribbler called out over the comms, fear tingling his voice. Jules, Marcy's hurt. What's going on? Struggling to keep up with Hope's, I said, Stand by. Hope and I are on our way. Marcy will be fine. I swear I heard Dribbler groan. The show must go on, huh? That's what Harlan said, too. That's hope for you, dude. As we approached the curtains, Hope gave my hands a final squeeze and we parted ways. I took up my post at the control boards as Babs gave way to Hope, introducing her with a flourish. She cried out, Gentle folk of the new Louis Coliseum, it is my great pleasure to give you our interdimensional diva, Hope the Tristellian. I widened the spotlight to take in both women, and then narrowed it in to focus tight and bright on Hope. The shimmers of her dress covered the crowd in waves of green, as though they watched from beneath the ocean. The sparkles of her rhinestone-covered netting played bright points of light all around the Colosseum, as though the stars had come down to rest among them. The applause was underwhelming. This crowd had to be won over. I figured they'd been kept waiting too long, and more than that, they really didn't like off-worlders, and Hope was likely the most off-world person they'd ever encountered. Hope opened up with a blues rock version of Abba's Take a Chance on Me. Not a combination I would have thought of, but with her sweet alien voice and Bab's masterful guitar and Dribbler's irresistible beat, the song had me wanting to sing along. I played colorful lights across the stage, hoping to evoke a muted disco vibe to go with the genre mashup song. Somewhat more enthusiastic applause broke out at the end, but Hope gave them no time to breathe as she launched into Black Friday Rule, one of my personal favorites by Flogging Wally. Babs and Dribbler drove home the rhythm while Hope spun the song's story. Her voice soared and nearly broke my heart as it spoke of missing a home far away and out of reach. During that song, Marcy appeared in the corner of my view, hovering in the wings of the stage. She held a shotgun across her body eyes narrow and burning as she peered out over the crowd. I'd been so lost in the music that I hadn't been keeping a lookout as well as I should have. I thanked what luck I had left for my lapse, not costing us anything. This time. All clear, called out Harlan over the comms. Fire's out, Marcy's on her feet, and I'm having a word with Miss Fox about her so-called security team. 
Copy that, I replied. Show's underway. No technical difficulties. Tough crowd, though. I almost laughed as Hope segued into the next song, the Talking Heads classic, Burning Down the House. Only Hope could sing that song with a slow, bluesy, even sultry delivery. She cast her musical spell like a seductive net across the whole of the Colosseum. If these gamins could resist her, I didn't want to know them. As for me, I was caught up and bewitched. Hope, Babs, and Dribbler let the music trail off and die, so that the only sound in the whole Colosseum was that of the crowd. To my astonishment, their applause still felt stiff and forced. Why had they even come to see Hope's tour? I can see we need to bring it up a notch, said Hope, breathing hard as she paused. Maybe it's time I introduced us. Hope swept an arm to take in Dribbler and his drum set. On drums, the incomparable master of rhythm, Gamma Earth's own, James Dribbler McGowan. A smattering of applause rippled through the stands along with a few irreverent catcalls. Dribbler mugged for the crowd and filled the air with his percussive wizardry. On bass and electric guitar, your hostess for the evening is the amazing Babs Delgado. Hope swept her other arm to take in the guitarist, who played a complicated rift to show off her chops. The crowd clapped dutifully and gave Babs a few cheers and whistles. Let's have a hand for our stage crew, Harlan Harper III, Marcy Davenport, and introducing Jules Martin. While I appreciated the gesture, having my name spoken by an alien musical goddess to this crowd made me want to crawl under the boards and hide. My face burned as hot as the Baba Yaga had out front, and I, as I searched for a place to hide, Jasmine peered back up at me as if to tell me that she wouldn't let me get away with it. Hope continued on. People of Gamma Earth, I'm Hope, and this is my tour. We're glad to be here, and we hope you're having a great time. Now, please let me sing you a song of my people, if you will indulge me for a while. Mr. McGowan, won't you start off our special song? Dribbler saluted her with his sticks and dragged a wire brush across the edge of his cymbals in a dirge-like rhythm, the effect sounding to my ears like heavy chains clattering. To this he added a rat-a-tata, rat-a-tata, rat-a-tata beat on the snare. Babs joined in with a twangy guitar that belonged in rock and roll from the fifties. Hope sang into the mic, I was working late in my lab one night. No, she couldn't be doing that song. How could she even know that song? As she went on, it couldn't be any other song. The crowd rippled with applause and delight, and as she launched into the first chorus, Hope ripped off her veil and screamed. I leaned into a mic and joined Babs and Dribbler in singing backup. She did the mash. I did the monster mash, cried Hope. I laughed and played some muted sound effects of bubbling cauldrons and ghostly moans as the song went on. The crowd ate it up, and I guessed Bobby Boris Pickett's novelty song must have come out just before the big one blew everything up on Gamma Earth. Maybe this made the silly song even more memorable to the people here, having waded through war, famine, and pestilence to crawl back to where they'd been beforehand. She'd taken a big risk, but Hope managed to win the crowd over with that one, and she went on to rock the house with covers of George Thorogood, Bessie Smith, and even the Mamas and the Papas. As things wound down, she took another risk and offered them the choice of having her sing a song from her home verse. The crowd went wild, cheering and clapping for more. 
Hope sat down for the first time since she's taken the stage, and I dimmed the spotlight just a bit and brought up deep blue background lights to accentuate the green of her dress. Dribbler put down his sticks, and Babs bowed her head, letting Hope sing her final song, A Capella. She began with a long, mournful whistling, rising like steam in a tea kettle. She accompanied that warbling tone with clicks and a keening that rose from deep within her. Hope unleashed the raw emotion in a musical howl that shook the Colosseum to its foundation. She paused for breath, and I held my own breath, along with the entire crowd. The trilling language from her home world tumbled out of Hope. I had no frame of reference. Nothing resembling individual words came out of her mouth, but the emotion behind the sounds rang true and clear. I had never heard a sound so lonely or lost as the song Hope gave us all that night. I wept there behind the electronic boards for everyone to see. In other circumstances, I'd be too afraid to cry in public. But Hope had everyone here, thousands of us, caught up in her spell. As deep as that lonely feeling reached inside of me, I knew I wasn't alone in my tears. And then, at the very end of her song, Hope let her voice rise, just a little, just enough to let a ray of sunshine reach the bottom of the ocean of her sadness. I turned up the warmth on the spotlight, adding golden light to the pool surrounding her. Her voice rose in strength and pitch, and she gave us all a bit of her namesake. She ended her song by giving us hope. Okay, that's the show, came Harlan's voice over the comm. Cut the spot. Bring up the house lights. I worked the light board as he directed, but couldn't help myself. I said, that's it? She's all done? Remember, he said, she doesn't do encores. Always leave them one more, she says. Now let's get packed up. We've got to hit the road for Delta Earth. We're not even staying the night here? Harlan growled. Well, that was the plan, but since that attack by your double from my verse, we gotta move on. Might not be up to me, but I figure it might be time to go pay a visit back home to see what's what. Thank you for listening to the Alien Beer Podcast. If you like my stories, please visit my website, sillyhatbooks.com. I publish as E. Chris Garrison, and my books may be found in paperback, ebook, and audiobook format on Amazon.com and other places. What evil lurks in the heart of Don Mondale? Only Chucky the Buddha, the enforcer of the Mondo Mafia, knows. Join them each week on the Mondo Method Podcast, as Chuck tries to get Don Mondo to reveal what is best in life, and where he hid the bodies. Oh, they also talk about writing, and being professional authors. The Mondo Method Podcast, with Armand Rosamilia, and Chuck Buddha. Weekly, wherever you find your podcasts. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.